Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malakian, U.S. Editor of Waters. Uh, normally, I'm joined by our news editor, James Rundle, but he's in the process of flying back from Toronto after spending the week up at Cybos. So the podcast today, uh, we're going to do a little something different. James recorded uh, two interviews and a presentation while up in Toronto, and we're going to play quick two to four minute segments from those um, from those uh, meetings. Uh, first up, we have Alan Marquant, uh, Chief Strategy Officer at CLS. He'll be talking about the company, about how the company is going live with blockchain for FX netting in Q2 2018. That'll be followed by Paula Da Silva. Uh, she's the Head of Transaction Services at SEB, and she's going to chat with Jim about the challenges of running a bank division while keeping up with fintech advancements. And finally, William Carter, uh, Deputy Director of the Technology Policy Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. He gave uh, the audience a funny little anecdote about a bank CEO and uh, how the CEO got hacked by Russian intelligence. And then he goes and moves on, kind of laying out the threat landscape and telling everyone that essentially they have to protect themselves and that the government can't really help them. So, you know, figured we uh, leave it off on a real good feel story there. Feel good story there. Yeah, whatever. Uh, uh, while at Cybos, James wrote about a dozen news and analysis stories uh, with a few big features still to come. You can find all of his coverage from the events, uh, which hits on the biggies of blockchain, AI, robotics, and cybersecurity. You can find that all at waterstechnology.com backslash organizations, spelt with an S in the middle, O-R-G-A-N-I-S-A-T-I-O-N-S, backslash Cybos. So again, that's waterstechnology.com backslash organizations, backslash Cybos. Um, and we will obviously link to it, and that's just easier just to click on that. A um, couple house cleaning notes. We have a few events coming up. November 13th through November 15th in Hong Kong, we have the Asia-Pacific Financial Information Conference uh, where you can meet our Asia reporter, Wei Shen. Uh, She'll be out there, and uh, so we've got a lot of good speakers for that event out there. Going to be covering on data and technology. Um, We have on October 25th at the Mayfair Hotel in London, we have our third event in a series of MIFID II What You Need to Know briefings. Um, again, just gonna three months out. You know what? What are the main challenges that firms are still facing? How can they prepare? Um, we also have the Waters Technology Innovation Summit in London on November fifteenth. You can sign up for that now. Um, should be an interesting new event that we're putting, where we're gonna try and bring fintech uh, fintech startups and uh, banks and asset managers together um, to see um, who's doing what in the space. And finally, on December 4th, here in New York, we have Waters USA. Um, I'll be there, James, Amelia, Wei Shen will all be there, as well as our editor-in-chief, Victor Anderson, will be over for that as well. So uh, hopefully you can come out and meet us for that. Um, All right, enough of that. On to the show. First up, we have Alan, and then we'll be followed by Paula and then William. Enjoy, and next week we'll have James uh, come back and hopefully regale you with some tales from Toronto. And so the next big service that goes live in that is the is the netting service. Yep. So that's Q2 next year that goes live. Um, that's pretty exciting because it's going to be one of the first production uh, services on a 
distributed ledger. I'm really using DLC for it. Yep. Yep. So we will provide options to connect either directly onto the ledger through a node or through Swift for those that aren't quite ready. But the actual the business logic is on a ledger. So hmm. um, is that something you developed in house or are you using Hyperledger or Hyperledger, we've worked with um, with IBM on the fabric. Okay. Um, we thought it was important to, to be open source and not developing yet another yeah. version iteration. So, sure. um, but you know that it's it's the whole concept of us developing a ledger. At first, people were like, "You're not a tech company. Why are you doing that?" Mm. And um, it's a topic I've spent a lot of time talking talking about because uh, I don't want to rehash what I just said on. on, on Cyber's TV, but when we're talking about it, um, you know, this idea that technology comes along and it's great to incubate ideas and do proof of concept, mm -hmm. but then you hit the real world of financial markets where you start doing important stuff, mm -hmm. and then it's you know who do you trust to do it? Who has the governance? Who can bring an entire market network together? Mm -hmm. And that was our kind of natural place. Again, that was Alan Marquand, Chief Strategy Officer at CLS. And next up, we have Paula De Silva, and she'll be talking about uh, running a bank division while keeping up with fintech advancements. I mean, do you develop internally, or, or do these things internally, or is it? Uh, I certainly hope not. With other companies, or something. I certainly hope not. <laughs> Or do you partner with other companies or consortium or what's the kind of Yeah, so we, we have done it in, in two ways, you could say. One of it is that one of them is that we have this venture capital arm where right. we invest in, in you know small stakes really, but in, in fintechs and um, both to be part of the uh, upcoming uh, growth, but also to understand what they do and try to integrate that. So we use them for dual purpose. Uh, R3, for instance, is one of those, um, and we have, you know, several. We have a Bitcoin converter. We have, you know, invested in, in a uh, credit scoring company and, and yeah, so forth. Little bits and pieces all over the kind of Exactly, and, and try also then to integrate them or to use them for our own purposes as well as for the financial investment side. So that's one way of, of failing fast and, and understanding. And some of them will probably only be financial investment, and that's it. Yeah. And some of them will be integrated in the business. But it needs a business um, interest and drive to, to integrate them. It doesn't happen by itself. Sure. Um, some of it then we do with the uh, you know the large guys like these ones, uh, you know the system providers. We are implementing a trade finance system that is cloud-based and everything, but it's still with a traditional provider. Um, maybe due to lack of anything else. Um, so. Again, we, we don't you know have bets on different areas. We need to just keep the business running. Yeah. Meanwhile, we are also exploring because if you can't keep the business running in a good way, it's going to tough. If you lose out on that and you're just in the the new, and that's a balancing act sure. because it will require obviously investment and focus. And I, I think that's one of my main challenges is to balance these two. You know, be part of that in the forefront and run an efficient and you know transforming business as it is. Okay, and finally we have William Carter, the Deputy Director of Technology Policy Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, he's going to talk about, uh, and can give an anecdote about bank CEO that got hacked by Russian uh, hackers, 
And then he's going to just basically tell you that the government can't help you, so you're on your own when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, thank you, and we will be back uh, next week with our regularly scheduled program. This is one of my, my favorite stories uh, from talking to folks in the financial industry. So a senior executive at a financial institution was sitting at his desk minding his business, and he gets a call. And the guy goes, uh, sir, I'm terribly sorry to tell you, you've been targeted by Russian intelligence. We have information that they are hacking your system right now. The only thing that we can do is you need to give us remote access to your computer so that we can fight them off in real time. And now this is, yeah, for those of us who know anything about cyber defense, that's ridiculous. But um, I think this guy somehow in his head, he thought the IT department was going to be in there fighting with these guys. Um, doesn't work that way. Sadly for him, the IT guy on the phone who then sent him a link to give him remote access to the computer was Russian intelligence. So it was true. He was being targeted by Russian intelligence. They were hacking him at that moment. Um, sadly, the call was not to help him. It was to enable the attack. Um, and it took weeks for that financial institution to ultimately, uh, sorry, it took them months to figure out they had been attacked. It then took them many weeks to figure out how this had all happened and what the chain of events was that had ultimately led to the compromise. And I am sure that when that executive uh, was told the story of how they got in, he thought, oh my God, how did I fall for that? Um, all this is to say, we put new defenses in place. In many cases, they work. Attackers find new ways to get in. Um, don't be discouraged. At least it makes their lives more difficult. Um, and also, it raises the bar. So it used to be that script kiddies and hacktivists were a major threat to financial institutions. We don't hear about that as much anymore. Part of the reason is the really smart guys, they figure out, like Russian intelligence, they're going to figure out that they can call you and get you to give them remote access. But your nephew who's got a computer and is into hacking, he's not going to be that guy. Um, so attackers adapt. But there is a silver lining, which is that the hurdle is rising. What does this all, where does this all leave us? Um, basically, more threats, more complexity, more sophistication of attacks. Like I said, the bar is being raised by defenders, but that means that you're also seeing attackers raise the bar. Um, on the consumer fraud front, as I mentioned, traditional banking fraud, less common. Carding, Definitely on the downswing. What are we seeing though? Mobile uh, attacks on populations in the developing world that don't have access to the fences that are available in the Western world. And also we're seeing the rise of targeted attacks on banks' networks. They've always existed. They're becoming much more prevalent. Um, and the attackers are becoming more sophisticated and more persistent. Law enforcement are trying to get back in the game um, and I really genuinely applaud the efforts of organizations like Interpol, um, the FBI, um, many of the European intelligence and law enforcement services that have taken extraordinary measures to get, catch up with cyber criminals. But it's a struggle. And the reality is that, as much as I hate to say it, financial institutions have to think about how they defend themselves. Um, the answer is not going to be government in most cases. Uh, government can help and you should leverage them to the extent that you can, but you have to think about defending yourselves. <laughs>